gonna take our time. We're gonna change the world. You are tuning in today to This Needs to Be Said, TNTBS, and I am your host, Catherine Waddell. There is such a need for people to be able to be truthful today. We've been tactful all around the world, and in the midst of that, trying to fit in so we conform, we want to be accepted. Then one day you ask yourself, what is my truth? While digging through a lot of baggage, gathered from wanting to belong somewhere and not sure what you believe, there's a crying out for all those things that should be said that are not being said. No longer will we pretend that there are no issues to address or that we are only going to talk about certain ones. This show, coupled with our blog site and our website, will be the beginning of you finding your way. There is an elephant in the room. Let's talk about it. You were thinking it. We're going to talk about it. Thank you so much for joining us today for This Needs to Be Said. We're talking with Mr. Don Mills today, Life Challenge, Life Challenge number 11, Philosophy of Life, finding out the reason why you do things the way you do in your life and getting a better understanding always helps you build a firm foundation, he believes. We're going to take a short break, so that gives you time to get your pen and paper out so that you can take notes. Class is in session, and we will have the political segment in the second half of the show, so stay tuned for that as well. In order for your dream to happen, you have to make it happen. You ready? Come and get it. You want it? Come and get it right here. Come and get it for real. Just come and get it. Takes work, but you can get it. Takes time, but you can get it. Stop talking. Come and get it, keep pushing, and you will get it. You hope and ask for great things when you dream. Watching others make it happen easily, it seems. But you don't see behind the scenes, it's called the real deal. You gotta make it happen now, 
Thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to talk about the philosophy of life with Mr. Don Mills. So life challengers, I'm glad you're tuned in. Get your pens and papers ready. Hey, Don, how are you? Catherine, Catherine, good afternoon. I'm well. How about yourself? I am doing wonderful. I'm definitely looking forward to this discussion, philosophy of life. I feel, you know, philosophical. <laughs> I feel like Plato or Aristotle or, you know, just, hmm, and we sit back and we contemplate, what's it all for? So I'm ready for this discussion. And you know what, uh, Catherine, more often than not, when you use words like philosophy or philosophical, we just do not think that applies to us. We often think that that applies to somebody who is greater than Tao, who is an intellectual, who is a nerd, who is very, very smart. But when you really look at the term, it is actually applied to each one of us in regards to what we're thinking and, and, and the rationale for what we're doing and the decisions we make and our way of life. All of it is grounded in our philosophy of life. Hmm. And that is something, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But starting today, I just want to say hello, Life Challengers. Welcome, welcome to Catherine. This needs to be said. Wydell show. There is an elephant in the room, and I'm certainly glad that you guys tuned in with me. I am privileged and proud to be a part of her show. And actually, I'm like most of you. I sit around and I listen, and I gather more information to help me make better decisions. On today's topic, philosophy of life, gather around me class is matter-of-factly in session, and I want you to hear me out because up to this particular point, we have talked about specific strategies. We talked about a real life. We talked about being spiritual. We talked about the end game. We talked about building bridges and celebrating the lives of others. We talked about it all. But where did it all start? Where did it all come from? How did we get to a point in our lives where we could understand the benefit of building a bridge in a relationship. Where in our lives do we realize that there is a deal breaker? And how did you define the deal breaker in your life? When did you begin to recognize that all of us need to be spiritual and connect to some type of ministry? How about this? When we started telling people about our trials and tribulations, our accomplishments, our achievements, when did we realize that we were testifying? Well, all of it is grounded. All of it is grounded in our biases. All of it is grounded in how we were raised in what we believed in regards to our interactions with life, with each other, how we came up with solutions to tackle defined ghosts. When did we decide we needed to go? When did we decide we had a problem? When did we decide that there was a life challenge? All of it, all of it is grounded in philosophy. And I say to you today, this is the time you begin to kind of look at where you came from, to go back in time, to take a step back. Listen to me. Listen to me. And this is the way that I put it forth. And all of this came as a result of my reviewing the last 10 challenges and wondered how we got to where we are. 
what I came to realize is that philosophy of life is defined as our attitudes towards life, our viewpoints, our ideals, and how we came to think about everything, our way of life and how we chose to live it, and once again, our biases, our prejudices, and our values, our beliefs. It's not grounded in what we believe to be right or wrong, different or indifferent. It's simply our beliefs. What we have to understand, Life Challengers, is that every decision, every decision that is made is based on what we're thinking and feeling at the time. Every decision. Now, some of us find find ourselves reacting as opposed to responding. Reacting, I always say, is when you're caught off guard, you're not giving it much thought, and you do what you feel is necessary. Responding is when you have more time to look at what's going on in your life, to define it in regards to how it is impacting you, and then making some type of decision as to how you're going to react to it or respond to it so that you can get the better results. But once again, that's grounded in our philosophy of life. Now, what can we do? And I have to we go over this, and I do it every time. You have to understand what your mission statement, your mission statement as a life challenger is to put yourself in a position where you can make a difference, not only in the lives of yourself, but in the lives of others, in the attempt to help them and you live fuller and more satisfying lives. And what I always like to say is that, We don't know how to quit when we're confronted with a trial of tribulation. We seek solutions to problems. We're tenacious. We have fortitude. We believe and we have faith. We have goals. We plan to achieve those goals, and we stay the course. We stay the course. Uh, We don't know how to give up because it's it's just not, I mean, we, we, we just don't know how to do that. And Understanding that, I think in developing that springboard, the springboard is that what you're on that's going to lift you up and put you in a position where you can begin taking some advantage of opportunities. What we have to understand is what is the foundation of the decision that we make? What is the foundation of the actions that we take? What is the foundation of our belief system? I think that we're going to have to go back a little bit and explore exactly what that is. I mean, what? I mean, how is it that we've come uh, to stand for something and not fall for anything? How did we come to that? It's grounded in our philosophy of life. I also think that we've already accepted that we're not going to We're not going to pass responsibility on to somebody else. We're not going to blame anybody for our troubles. We're going to assume, we're going to assume responsibility, and we're going to remain accountable for the decisions that we make in life. We're going to do that. I believe, now this is me, I believe that the, that the, uh, life of a life challenger is very difficult. It's very difficult because we're always looking for opportunities to grow and develop. 
so that we can live fuller and more satisfying lives and help other folks, such as our family and friends. I believe that, I mean, we may rest, but we may take a break, but I believe that we're we're always in a position to look at how we can become more effective at what we do. But you want me to share something with you? When Absolutely. I think about you you know, I think about all of that, Catherine. You know, I, I think about you know, how I mean, how do we know when? How do we know where? How do we know how how do we get it right? How do we stay on track? Uh we get tired, uh we get overwhelmed. Uh sometimes we don't know whether or not we are effective. I know that we constantly have to realize the support of our network, our family and friends to give us feedback and to encourage us. But we have to make sure that we're in a position where they can even do that. And I think when I go back and look over the life challenges I've discussed so far, you know, once again, when I think of celebrating the life of of others, you know, to give you an example, we just had Memorial uh, Day weekend. I mean, it wasn't about us on this particular weekend. It was about those who have served in the armed forces or in other capacities that helped us to realize the freedoms that many of us take for granted. And some of us will have questions about whether or not we're actually free. And then if you look at our history as slaves, you know, there's a lot more. There's a lot more questions than there are answers. But yet and still, we accept that we're not perfect. We accept that we make mistakes. But by the same token, we look at what is right, and we try to we try to err on the side of goodness in not becoming the critical thinker that we could be, but understanding that uh, uh, we have a long ways to go to actually realize the freedoms that we actually would like to accept and take for granted, and I don't know if we ever get there. And I say, and, and what I say to the Life Challenger, and, and I don't want to lose my focus here, what I say to the Life Challenger is that all of this is very convoluted. All of it can become very disorganized because you've got to take all this information and you've got to put it together in such a way that you understand exactly what it is that you're thinking, what it is that you're doing, and the rationale for it all. I don't know, Catherine. I mean, what do you think about all of this? What what, what are your impressions? Um, Not to make this conversation less interesting because I do agree with what you're saying, it's one of those things was like where it's all what is it all for? Oftentimes we put a lot of value or put a lot of weight in something and still not have an understanding of it. Like you said, we take for granted um what other people have done for us to have the freedoms that we now have. And some people will then turn around and argue, Well, do we have it? So just to be Thank in you. the present moment and Embrace what we have at this time because what would make you feel like we're still a slave unless you've set a goal for something and you've been met with obstacles? Um, I feel like this life is what we make it, and that may be, well, an overused cliche. However, if I decide I'm going to get up this morning and have a cup of coffee 
and I'm going to sit by the window and let the light come in on me, whether it's the sun or if it's a rainy day, but the light is going to come in or whatever. I'm mapping out what my day is going to be, and I'm going to read this book, and I'm going to go to work, and I'm going to pray, I'm going to meditate. There's nothing outside of me that will prevent me from doing those things, and that to me would be my freedom. Someone else will have a different depiction of it, but when we're thinking about the meaning of life, the meaning of my life, the meaning of what's going on, sometimes we put a lot of weight on things that we really haven't given thought to. Maybe maybe it's still true that black men can't travel safely somewhere in the USA. However, right. it may not be it may not be true for you in your neighborhood, but it may be true in someone else's neighborhood, and that doesn't make us an, a whole system of imprisoned people. It makes them in a depressed area. And mm-hmm. sometimes we take on things like like say for instance, you have children that grow up in middle class homes but they want to behave like they're from the hood. They've decided that the meaning of their life is something different when their parents have strived to have them above the level of having to live like they were in the streets. I'm saying Mm -hmm. a lot here, but people design what they want, whether it's haphazard or if they're conscious of it. So I agree with what you're saying, and I just wanted to give some illustrations of what pops into my mind when we're thinking about, how people, when you use the word convoluted, when, how people choose, uh, find the right word for this, Don, how people just, you, you you buy into something that you're not really sold into. You you choose to say, okay, we're in prison, but you really hadn't made a plan for yourself. So who put you mm-hmm. in that prison? So the words that are out here, We've made this up. We've, everything we have is made up. I guess that's where I'm getting. Everything, we've, we've made it up. We've made up um, how we use things, and we've come into agreement that, you know, black is black and white is white. Um, gosh, I, I, I'm trying to, like, really get a grasp on <laughs> what I'm trying to say to you um, in this, but I, I believe. I, I, I agree with you. I do agree with you. This is a very difficult conversation because we're talking about a philosophy of life. And the problem with the philosophy of life is so interpretive. There's so many biases. There's so many prejudices. Everybody, individual to themselves, have a philosophy of life. And their way of thinking, their way of seeing things, their way of solving problems, their way of interacting with the world Mm -hmm. could be totally Mm -hmm. different from my way and your way. I mean, there are cultural differences. There are academic differences. There are people who work in certain jobs or live in certain neighborhoods, everybody think a certain way. And the only thing mm-hmm. I'm trying to get the life to do, the only thing I'm trying to get the listener to do is to begin to understand that the decisions that are made, that their interpretation of life is grounded in their philosophy of life. And I ask the life challenger, I ask you, if I say to you, Catherine, what is your philosophy of life? And what I'm principally saying is that in each area of your life, what do you think about it? What do you think about your residential situation? What do you think about your employment situation? What do you think about Mm -hmm. relationships you're in? What do you think about Mm -hmm. your financial situation? What do you think about your health, medical, and, and mental? What do you think? What do you think about you as a person? And then guess what? Mm -hmm. Guess what question follows that? What are you going to do about it? Right. I mean, are you okay with right. where you are? You know, what are you going to do? 
I mean, where are you going to go and from that's here? A very individual, that's a very individual thing. I, I think what happens when we're talking about the philosophy of life, we want to make a big, broad stroke, but it's really what works for me doesn't necessarily work for you. And trying to put everybody in that same little box, your philosophy of life will be different from mine, slightly or vastly will be different from what I believe to be true. Even people who worship under the same denomination have some variations in what is true for them. Some people who live in the same communities, they have some things that differ that are true for them. And my house in this community is different from your house next door to me in this same community. There's just some mm-hmm. things, simple things like I believe you should leave your shoes at the door. Everyone That's else right. may say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk to my bedroom and take my shoes off. Little things like that. And that means something significantly different for each person, but we live exactly. next door to each other. So when we're talking about philosophy of life and when you point out it's an individual thing, it is so individual. For someone making $30,000 a year with benefits on a job that they work um, Monday through Friday and have weekends off and two weeks of vacation a year and five, six days, that may be what they need and that may be satisfactory to them. And the next person says, no, I need to make four times that. I need more vacation time. I need more flexibility. So that $30,000 does not answer what they feel is equivalent to what they believe, what their belief system is in for their life. And how about this? Who's wrong and who's right? Are you wrong for thinking like that? Are you right for thinking like that? I mean, you know, who's wrong and who's right? Is there a wrong or is there a right? Or is there specifically a philosophy of life that's connected to that individual? And I believe that there is not a wrong or right. I think that people make decisions based on what they believe to be right, and they believe that will help them achieve the goals that they set for themselves. I believe that everybody's not going to be in agreement. I believe that sometimes there's going to be misunderstanding. Sometimes there's going to be turmoil. But by the same token, sometimes there's going to be agreement. And sometimes people are going to be on the same page, and they're going to work in unison with each other. So I don't see all negatives, and I certainly don't see all positives. I just see us living life to the best of our ability to, I mean, to to, to live a fuller, more satisfying life. And I think that that Mm -hmm. is something that could be very different for each one of us. And as life challengers, as we're reaching out to try to make a difference in somebody's life, as we're reaching out to add value to a life of another, we have to be sensitive we have to be sensitive to those people who we're coming in contact with, understanding that they may not embrace the same philosophy of life as we do. So we have right. to understand that, and we have to be accepting of the differences, and we have to try to engage in behaviors that complement each other, as opposed to forcing our will or forcing our belief systems on another. And that's unfair. Mhm. Mhm. Absolutely. Great question, who's right and who's wrong. And a lot of times we want to enforce our way of thinking on other people, and you pointed that out as the way I think, the way I see it. And if you see it some way different, I get frustrated. I see this a lot when, let's talk about social media for a second. People, we, they, wanna, they want people that's going to agree with them, and if you don't agree with them, then you're not for them. And I see that when I'm coaching my students in, my, in business, coaching and I see that they want someone that's going to tell them 
everything they want to hear. And if someone says something negative to them, they want to instantly reject it. And I want to teach them, you take what you can use, because that's how we also acquire the philosophy that we have in our lives. There are some things we take from certain people. I dress this way. I eat this way. This is what works for me, and I adopted that philosophy from this person or this this culture or this scenario or this experience in my life. So you you take what you can use, and you get rid mm-hmm. of what you can't use, but not in a negative way, like, oh, this person told me I won't be the next Oprah, so I don't want to listen to them. No. That's right. Why did they say that? You know, maybe they're trying to help you identify more with who your authentic self is, or maybe they just really think you're not going to be next to Oprah. But it's not that serious where we impose upon each other our views and that we only accept those who say yes, yes and amen to us. Um, you build your philosophy through multiple adoptions of different things. That's, that is my belief. Yeah, yeah. And and. There is some there is some merit to the cliche trial and error, learn through trial and error. But in learning through trial and error, we're remaining open minded. We're 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 okay to suggestive ideas. We have to explore as to whether they can benefit us in such a way that they add value to our lives. Because you have to understand, anytime you've added value to your life, you've repositioned yourself so that you can add value to your life of another. And it's that domino effect. It's not about taking, 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 taking. At some point in your life, you're giving back. And I believe that throughout your life, there's a degree of volunteerism in you where you can do something on behalf of another just because it is the right thing to do. And if I take it spiritually, I would even say it is the godly thing to do. But we must engage in behaviors that's going to make a positive difference in the lives of another. Because that's what this is all about. This whole conversation about life challenges, this whole conversation is about this whole conversation about life challenges, right? Is about understanding life and what it is that you can do to increase the likelihood that you can add value to the life of another. But you've got to start at home. You've got to start with yourself. You've got to get your education. You've got to stay out of trouble. You've got to be spiritual. You've got to understand the benefit of celebration. You've got to take responsibility for putting yourself in a position where you can get more so you can give more. You have to understand that in every situation there is an end game, and you have to Mm -hmm. recognize the deal breaker. Because if you're driving a car, you can run out of gas. You can have a car accident. You can have medical problems. Uh, You could become financially challenged. There's a whole lot that can happen that can interfere with your ability to follow through. You can be in a relationship for 20 years, and all of a sudden you wake up one morning and decide that you don't feel the same way about the person. I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff that we just flat out have no control over that we have to incorporate in our very being. We have to understand the possibility of the manifestation of stuff that's going to interfere with our ability to stay on track. But as life challengers, we have to stay on track. We have to remain tenacious. We have to have fortitude. We have to be righteous in terms of trying to get it right. We have to be spiritual in terms of having faith and believing. We have to try to make it work. 
because that's the only way we're going to survive the life challenges that we are confronted with on a daily basis. We have to stand up and we have to be counted. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's hard. It's hard. It's tough. It's tough. I think I was better off before I was a life challenger. When Before I was a life challenger, I just went along with the flow. Before I was a life challenger, I didn't ask any questions. Before I was a life challenger, I made all kinds of excuses when I didn't get it right. Before I was a life challenger, I could blame everybody. Anytime I got something wrong, it wasn't my fault. It was their fault. I could do that before I was a life challenger. Once I became a life, uh-huh. life challenger, I no longer had those options. I no longer could minimize. I no longer could project. I no longer could lie. You see, I no longer uh-huh. could quit. Before I was a life challenger, I had the option of just quitting. Uh-huh. Once I became a life challenger, I couldn't quit anymore. That no longer became an option. And I say to you, uh-huh. life challenger. What are you doing today to put yourself in a position that's going to promote your ability to live a fuller and more satisfying life so that you can help others do the same? Because there are folk out there that's looking at you. There are folk out there you are mentoring. There are folk out there who follow your example. I say to you, life challengers, what are you going to do today to make a difference in their lives? Good question. Good stuff. Definitely holding me accountable, definitely making me make a decision, challenging me, and no more places to hide. That's right. That's right. I know I said the tail end of the half hour, and once again, I'm thoroughly excited just being a part of the show. And each time I speak on behalf of Life Challengers, it's almost like I'm just reviewing I'm reviewing what it is that is required of me. I'm teaching me. Now, I'm I'm speaking, but I'm teaching me because I'm remembering how I have to live my life. I'm remembering that I must stay spiritually grounded. I'm remembering that I'm a servant, that I have a ministry. I'm remembering that I've got to put myself in a position where I can make a difference. I'm remembering all of those things, and I'm becoming increasingly sensitive, and I'm challenged to stay the course of each day. Life challengers, this is the close of this story today, but it will continue tomorrow. My name is Don Mills. I'm on Facebook at Donald Ray Mills. My telephone number is 704-502-6555. That's 704-502-6555. Contact me. Let me know what you think. If I, if you have a question you think I can share an opinion on, inbox me. Let me know something. I'd love to hear from you. Keep up with Catherine. She's doing a heck of a job on the blog here. There is an elephant in the room. Let her know what your interest is. Maybe she can develop a program specifically that will address your interest. Catherine, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for allowing me to be on your show today. I look forward to talking to you again next week. All right, Don, thank you so much for what you bring to This Needs to Be Said, and we will definitely talk on next week, and I'll see you on Facebook. Okay, all right, bye-bye. Oh. 
head on over to thisneedstobesaid.com and check out the events section. And there are some free classes that you can attend for personal and professional development. We're here to help you have the best version of your life. So head on over there. All classes are always free to attend. Weightlessstage.com Make a healthy connection With single people You have lost or losing significant weight Weightlessstage.com 88. Suffering with Alzheimer's The only crime she committed was living with her lifelong friend Sylvia for 30 years Is now being made homeless by Bedford Estates Show your support for Francis at StopTheDuke.com Again, that's StopTheDuke.com Royal Destiny Salon and Spa, where you are royalty. Specializing in children's hair, natural, weaved, and relaxed hair. Looking for a professional stylist who cares not only about how good hair looks, but also how healthy it feels? Then Royal Destiny Salon and Spa is the place for you. Royal Destiny Salon and Spa, located at 4936 Albemarle Road, Suite 14, Charlotte, North Carolina. Call today to schedule your appointment for a more beautiful you. 724-734-8043. That number again is 724-734-8043. Mothers who are over 40 at the time of a child's birth are 128% more likely to have a left-handed baby than a woman in her 20s. And that's enough reason right there not to have children past the age of 40. You can never find left-handed scissors when you need them. Darren Marlar, and this is your daily dose of weird news. Barack Obama now has his own Twitter account, at POTUS. I've already blocked him. Wait a minute, finally allowed an account? Then how do you explain the Twitter account, at Barack Obama? You know, for a guy who loves speechifying, how will Barry ever be able to keep it down to 140 characters or less? Unfortunately, we still won't see many posts from Barack because Twitter doesn't come with a teleprompter. Brain-eating amoebas have been detected in New Orleans tap water. Fortunately, people in New Orleans only drink liquor, so no one has been affected. While we're at the bar, according to a study by the Daily Mail, even a small amount of alcohol can make other people seem more attractive. You can find this report in their website's Stuff We Already Knew section. Former Texas Governor Rick Perry will reportedly announce he's a candidate for president on June 4th in Dallas. He says there are three major reasons he's running for president. Unfortunately, he can only remember two of them. Firefighters in Boise, Idaho, responding to a house fire, thought they heard the screams of people inside. The voices were screaming, help, fire. But when firefighters investigated, they found parrots that had been trained to cry for help. There was actually nobody in the house. Crews removed the birds and gave them oxygen. Whatever happened to Polly won a cracker or I'm a pretty bird? Who trains their birds to say, help fire? 
Here's your latest global warming scare. CBS News is reporting that sea levels will be up by four feet by the year 2214. You know, far, far into the future. So nobody will be embarrassed or even remember this prediction when it turns out to be false. That's your Daily Dose of Weird News. I'm Darren Marlar. Get more weird news at DailyDoseOfWeirdNews.com. Until next time, keep it real. Weird. Head on over to ThisNeedsToBeSaid.com so that you can see what free classes we have under the Events tab. You don't want to miss that. That's ThisNeedsToBeSaid.com. Got dreams on a sunny day. Six rings like MJ. Winning.
Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us as we're going to talk politics with Valerie's son because he knows politics. And we're going to get caught up in what's been happening over the past week in the world of politics. So, Valerie's son, what do you have for us today? Well, this week is always great to come on and share new and exciting, at least exciting to me, political things that happen. I guess it's kind of a special edition. We have kind of a wonderful Wednesday, I'll call it, of um, talking politics. Coming off of holiday weekend, uh, lots of things going on, as always. Um, Again, very exciting things that are taking place. And as we have this uh, kind of overcast day in the city, which is, I guess, a good thing compared to some of the days we've had uh, here recently. The main topic or main thing here locally in Charlotte that most people have been discussing is the um, soon retirement of Police Chief Rodney Monroe. He has stated that he is going to retire on July 1st, which, uh, as we speak now, is a little over a month away. Now, um, in his retirement, one of the things that he has kind of stressed and talked about is that he would like for his replacement to be someone that is internal. That's also the belief of several other people that are going to have an impact on making the decision. Now, um, again, with that being his main request, and he did announce on last week that he's actually retired, so it's kind of caught a lot of people off guard. I guess there were some people kind of that knew uh, internally or knew in his circle. But uh, overall, many people did not know that that was taking place. Now, City Manager Ron Carley is working with the Department's command staff and community leaders to sign a little chief. But no timetable has actually been set for who and when is actually the president going to take place. Now, Carter, who himself is going to hire the next police chief, but he typically consults with council members about any kind of hire he's made and been several he's made since he became city manager. Now, city council member Claire Fallon, who headed the city's community safety committee, she told um, several people, she told uh, the news, she told, she made several different statements about it, that she had urged Mr. Carlin to hire Kerr Putney. Now, Kerr Putney is the longest serving of the department's five deputy chiefs. He oversees training and criminal analysis right now, and uh, he's over the communication division. Now, Putney actually stood in for Mr. Monroe last July on a panel that explored police relations with residents in the wake of the controversial shooting we had here. He's also been the public face of the department when controversies have arose about officer-involved shooting and we had some police misconduct. He's kind of been the face of that. Now, police and others have expressed support or at least respect for Putney throughout the board. Now, the Neighbors for a Safer Charlotte said the police department needed an external chief seven years ago when Monroe was hired. They were never believing they should have hired one and someone internally and not did the search they'd done to bring in uh, Chief Monroe. City Council Member Kenny Smith talked about how it would be beneficial to conduct a nationwide search. He was the only one that was kind of outspoken about doing a nationwide search. But he said this search certainly would not exclude the internal candidates that we have now. Now, of course, when Mr. Monroe was chosen, he beat out two actually internal candidates for the post and replaced an internal chief who was appointed while a national search was being conducted. Now, of course, again, this time Mr. Monroe feels the search should be done with him. Now, he would not say exactly who he thought the person should be. His answer to the question was he's got five very capable and competent. And just to give you a, a quick uh, idea of who those people are, you have Doug Gallant, who oversees the felony investigative units. You have Katrina Group who oversees um, Charlotte McBurn Police Department's Northern Patrol Division, which is quite a few uh, officers. Jeff Estes, who oversees patrol divisions in the South, and Vicki Foster, who oversees the support of services, while she also works with the SWAT team, the electronic monitoring of offenders, and for property and the evidence division. So those four alone, Mr. Putney, were the names that he certainly thought, Mr. Monroe certainly thought, would be suitable hires for him. 
Now, Carly's support from the internal candidate could boost his standing with council members. Now, one of the key things about that, there are some council members that have expressed they feel that Mr. Monroe was unhappy with some of the uh, dealings he had with Mr. Carly. And there were council members who were kind of, again, kind of unhappy about Mr. Monroe at the time and taking place when it done. Some council members are concerned about a number of high-ranking officials who have left during Mr. Carly's tenure, with, of course, Mr. Monroe's departure being the most significant of those people that left. Supporters of the internal hire say the city would avoid an expensive national search. And, of course, it would provide stability for the department as the trial of Officer Randall Carrick begins, as we talked about here several times on the show. That's going to be the biggest trial we've had here in quite some time, especially when it pertains to the police and an unofficial citizen. Now, again, Mr. Monroe is set to retire July 1st, which we right, believe right now. It's going to be a few weeks before Mr. Carrick's voluntary manslaughter trial is scheduled to begin. Now, we talked on last week about a settlement that was reached in a civil suit with um, Jonathan Farrell's family as a result of this shooting. And, again, we talked about how it's going to be in July when it goes on. And that's certainly one of the things that people have addressed or thought it was interesting, that he would be retiring this weeks prior to one of the biggest cases, certainly the biggest case he's been in. And this to give you an idea, Mr. Putney, who, again, has been deputy chief since 2007, and he's a police officer in 1992. His annual salary is about $127,000, and he's a lone holdover, former police chief Daryl Stevens' top ranks. And in 2013, he was a finalist for the police chief job in Winston-Salem. Just to give you an idea again of what's uh, taking place in that case, and we certainly, it appears that we will have a new police chief, uh, I guess, as of July 2nd. But it's not known who that person would be or exactly what Mr. Monroe would do in the interim now that he's no longer chief. But he did state that he's not looking to be police chief anywhere else and that he's on the downslide of his certain career. So it appears that he'll do something else in the line of police work, but certainly will not be here in the department anymore. So we'll certainly see how things transpire in the next few weeks with uh, current police chief and soon to be former. Um, down in Columbia, South Carolina, we talked here several times about Jonathan Pinson, but now it seems as if it's come to a close with him. He's, of course, the former South Carolina State Trustee Board Chairman. He's been sentenced to five years in prison for accepting kickbacks. Federal Judge David Norton handed down a penalty uh, on last week, on last Wednesday, actually. While in addition to the jail time, Pennis is paying back about $300,000, $340,000 in restoration. He would also have five years of suspended supervised release. Uh, U.S. Attorney General J.D. Roll says the prosecution is happy, despite the recommended 12 to 14-year sentence not being met. The federal jury convicted Pennison last July of charges including racketeering. Prosecutors say Pennison used his position at South Carolina State University to take kickbacks and that he had skimmed on deals from the Columbia Housing Project and the Marion County diaper plant. Prison lawyers, my business lawyers, argued that evidence in the case was kind of insufficient and also maintained that he had never profited from the deals, which seemed as if he certainly received some type of benefit from them. During the sentencing, it was the first time we actually heard Mr. Pinson speak. Now, he talked about uh, wiretapping the phones, calls used in his trial. They, they were uh, unsuccessful. He also argued that it was a dark time in his life. And he begged Judge Norton for some leniency, which to an extent he received. Judge Norton had harsh words for Benson, saying that he may have never loved, that he certainly seemed to have loved money more than he loved South Carolina State University. He also told Benson that his focus was not on how the public could benefit, but how he could, and he had his own personal agenda for success. His lawyers had asked the judge to consider a lower sentence of the average ranging from about 63 to 78 months is the average time that they usually 
his sentence, arguing his activities did not merit that long of a sentence. It's saying that several other co-defendants in the case who have already been given probation. Judge Newton said he considered the full case when issuing the sentence, and he told Pencil that the tragedy of it all is that he sold his reputation and integrity for so little money. Now, again, his legal team has already began uh, an appeal, and we'll see exactly how that goes out again with the former South Carolina State Board of Trustees, John Pencil. Also in South Carolina, the House of Representatives have unanimously, unanimously passed an amended domestic violence bill. Also on Wednesday, it sets up the final vote on the bill in the Senate in the coming days. House members voted 104 to nothing, which is rare than that happens that easy. To send the bill back to Senate after adding on an amendment that would add an additional restriction to people convicted of domestic violence crimes. The new amendment would intact a lifetime ban on gun ownership for those who are convicted of criminal domestic violence of a high and aggravated nature and reinforced a 10-year ban on gun ownership to those convicted of first-degree criminal domestic violence. So anytime there's a domestic violence issue that you are convicted of, it's going to limit the amount of time you can have the amount of time it takes for you to get a gun and how long you can be able to have a gun and what restrictions you can be under. The bill also contains language that will create a criminal domestic violence adversary board that will provide education to students from 6th to 8th grade about domestic violence, the issues of domestic violence, how to resolve it. The bill would also create lifetime restraining orders for criminal domestic violence victims so they would not need to renew their order each year. So, of course, if you're a victim of it, then that will give you uh, more leniency as far as getting a gun and when exactly you would uh, have to redo your paperwork on it. And, again, this is in the state of South Carolina. So I thought that was a very interesting uh, bill that sent it back to Senate. And as we see a lot of times on the show, when that takes place, you will see that happening in other states as well. Here in North Carolina, the House now has approved a budget provision that's going to provide $1 million to a private group to help start charter schools in rural counties. It's called the Parents for Education Freedom, Educational Freedom in North Carolina, which is an advocacy group of charter schools. It's going to get $1 million to launch a pilot program aimed at fostering more charters in rural areas. The group will give out about 200000 grants to new schools to help with startup costs. Democrats have sought to kill the budget item and instead direct $1 million to fund more teacher assistance. The amendment garnered support from few Republicans but fell short of the 53 to 60 vote on Thursday. So it wasn't a tightly contested vote. Again, it's just a matter of where the money is going to go. There were those in favor of the charter schools getting it. There were those, of course, in favor of public schools getting it. Again, one thing they would do is perhaps hire more teacher assistants. They also on that bill were going to have more office personnel in general. Now, the one million of taxpayers' money to a kind of an entity that chose the charter schools to fund was an interesting situation. Because, again, you have such a divide when it comes between the two. But Republicans defended their plan pointing out that it wouldn't be allowed to use any of the money for its overhead costs, and it would have to match the $1 million grant. Now, some of the complaints that were always coming through were from the charter schools that were already kind of established. Uh, they mentioned Wake County, Durham County, Mecklenburg County, where there's already, again, established charter schools. They're trying to encourage charters in places where they don't have access to them. Many of the rural counties, they want them now to charge, start charter schools and provide some of the opportunities in those smaller areas in North Carolina that the larger cities already have. And one of the major complaints, which always seems to be, is there was no funding. So now you have $1 million that's going to this group, uh, getting the Parents for Educational Freedom in North Carolina, which is going to start more charter schools in smaller cities and smaller areas in North Carolina. The House also took uh, a final 93-23 to 23 vote early Friday morning 
in favor of Republican leaders' $21 billion state spending plan over objections of a handful of Republicans and, of course, lots of Democrats. The vote rescinded the budget proposal to the Senate for its consideration. It came shortly after 1 a.m., following nine hours of discussion and last-minute revisions. So it's important to know that sometimes when politicians are indeed working, they want you to know that they are working until 1 a.m. to uh, get some things resolved. The 23 no votes came primarily from the mostly liberal and conservative members of the House. Kind of an indication that the plan appealed to moderates in both parties, which we kind of already knew going in. You're going to have your you never forget that all Democrats on the left are like all Republicans on the right. Some are a lot more conservative than others. Some are more moderate. So this is always a key point when you bring it up is they always don't vote together. That's not always the case. Well, I think lots of times people feel that most votes are split along with still along the lines of parties where all Democrats vote. Yeah, you know, Republicans vote nay. That's not always the case. Supporters of the budget praised its increase in educational funding, including 2% to 6% raise for teachers, along with another 2% for all other state employees with more textbook funding. House Speaker Tim Moore actually issued a statement praising the plan shortly after the vote. He said prudent, responsible budgeting has already allowed North Carolina to expect $400 million surplus and pay off of the recession debt that they already have. Now, because of that success, the House budget would allow further uh, individuals now to open up the infrastructure and the services that are going to be needed for this. Uh, this is basically kind of reaffirming the commitment they already had, but it's just making it more efficient. Now, for, I would like to say for the future of expanding, really, in the digital world, you're going to have more textbooks, you're going to have more personalized uh, learning time, and, of course, you're going to have more money for teachers, which, in fact, could probably get you more teachers and get you more uh, qualified quality teachers because they're going to be making a little more money, and that's always a, um, a reason to bring in more people, and there's always a reason for more of them to want to do it. Still, several Democrats spoke out against the budget, though most voted for the spending plan. So you have both sides of it. A total of 116 members cast votes on the final plan, which generally has already had the support of Governor Pat McCoy. On the Republican side, 61 Republicans were in favor, by 11 opposed, three Republicans were absent. On the Democratic side, 32 Democrats were in favor, 12 were opposed, one Democrat was absent on the final vote. Now, the Americans for Prosperity uh, group, a conservative advocacy group, has been lobbying heavily against the budget plan and issued a critique of the plan's tax credits that target specific in- industries. Over more than nine hours of the session, House members added a number of new items to the budget, including $5 million for police body cameras and $1 million for a program to put fresh produce in corner stores, which I think is equally as important. And a member for Democrats that sought to kill a $1 million grant to an advocacy group to help rural charter schools was narrowly defeated, which is similar to the one that we just read, which would have actually added uh, some more funding. Now, those changes announced on Thursday. As lawmakers began to debate the budget, they would take effect on July 1st, because that's kind of how they would deal how the year goes, from July to July. Um, it included scaling back the proposed increase in DMV fees and cuts to other tax credit programs. It was all left in the game votes from some conservatives who opposed those provisions. Now, the floor debate was delayed this week as the Republican caucus spent hours behind closed doors, kind of getting all the differences passed out, discussing a lot of other things that were taking place. So when they came, on the floor, they will be able to handle these matters. The lawmakers went through several different amendments and other debates. Um, and again, it took them late to the evening to get that done. There's some of those things where they eliminated the tax credit for companies, state universities, and research and development work, which saved about $44 million a year. Um, they shrunk the proposed 50% hike in the DMV fees to a 30% hike, which would take effect in January. And they cut a tax break 
on jet fuel, the benefits to American Airlines, especially in the Charlotte Hub. House leaders said that the credit doesn't need to be in the budget because it appears an economic development bill that passed the chamber back in March. That bill, however, is still stuck in Senate, so we don't know exactly what's going to be the end result of it. And there's a few things that are going to affect us Charlotteans here. Um, included in this bill, you have a $90 million for a UNCC science building, which would be an awfully nice building, $90 million. Uh, it includes $40 million for an annual film grant, which replaces the film credits. It extends solar energy credits for two years, and it restores medical deduction on state taxes at a cost of $106 million a year. The only thing that was not included was the replacement of the $18 million loss to the city at the end of the business privilege license tax that was uh, proposed that we talked about here on last year. They weren't able to get that back in. But House Republicans concluded on the same day on Thursday that the proposed 50% increase in motor vehicle fees were too much for North Carolina motors to swallow. But, again, they did decide on the 30% increase. We had thought it was okay. So it's important to know those things when, in fact, you're going back to the DMV starting again in January. On the commission side, the county commissioners are here in Mecklenburg County. They approved a resolution on Tuesday that urged Governor Pat McCrory and the state's transportation department to delay by 90 days next week's closing of the financial contract to build toll lanes on I-77. Uh, the resolution was approved again, uh, eight to nothing. So what happened is the vote took place before a crowded chamber of people, uh, mostly from northern Mecklenburg County, who came to speak against the project. They said they received little information from the state and urged commissioners to ask Governor McCord to put the brakes on until they got the answers they wanted. Now, Commissioner Jim Puckett, uh, who's a Republican, who sponsored the resolution, said he got involved in the issue because the state wasn't being up front with his constituents, and he felt that he couldn't come and give them the information that they needed because he didn't have it all. Tuesday, the state's DOT released a press uh, statement, said that it finalized the loan process and that the reason it could lose as much as $100 million and the contract was canceled because the money would go to other projects in the state. Basically, the money's in the hand, and if you don't want to put it here, then we're going to put it somewhere else. Therefore, you won't be able to get it. Now, some in the crowd said the state was employing scare tactics. Douglas said the project doesn't solve future congestion, which is going to be in the, on this side of town anyway, but you're going to open it up with this is what the plan. Now, last week, Governor McCorris said he wouldn't delay the project, and they're giving towns what they've advocated for for years is what he wants to do. Tuesday's vote followed a very similar resolution in Cornelius, Huntersville, Morrisville, and Davidson. They came after opponents found a surprise 50-year non-complete clause, including the final contract. So after the total ends are completed in 2018, the DOT would have to pay development compensation if it builds new fees on this highway. In the fall of 2013, local transportation planners added a project to widen I-77 roughly through Huntersville to Morrisville to a long-range transportation plan. Construction will begin in 15 to 25 years, but in January of 2014, the non clause would change to school widening the free lanes. That's the thing that kind of got the commissioners off guard and kind of changed their, their idea of how to do it. The town wants independent review of the agreement's conditions during this 90-day delay. The commissioners want that, and the governor has already stated that that's one of the things he's looking at. And the DOT is going to explore further funding sources to widen the interstate, including a possible state bond referendum to finance transportation projects. Now, one by one, the commissioners criticized the state for basically not being up front with them, including um, Board Chairman Trevor Fuller, who said um, this is not complete. He said the information to him on his board was not complete, and it kind of tied his hands for potentially the next 20 to 30 years with whatever decision they make, because you're not going to be able to go back. Of course, if you don't get the total lanes built, 
the beginning that money is going to go to something else and you'll never get them. And if you do get them, you're going to be stuck again with that decision for the remaining the time. So at least she says it should be reasonable to stop and think about exactly what they're doing. So you'll see exactly what happens with the tow lanes. And again, many people have talked and complained about on this side of town because they do want widening of the lane, which is going to help a lot of traffic. And one way to get the money and get it paid for is to go about that way. Now, staying with the Mecklenburg County Commission, a few interesting things happened. One of the interesting stories was about uh, prayer. How exactly prayer is handled? You had um, things being thrown around by the commissioners where uh, you had Pat Coffin basically saying um, that Commissioner Velma Leach has uh, come out and she has made statements uh, that kind of defaming her, kind of making statements about her that she feels are very offensive due to the fact that when it was her turn to lead in prayer, she has chosen not to do it. And Ms. Gotham is a Catholic whose favorite form of prayer on the rosary and the Hail Mary, she stated. She told the board's clerk she didn't want to be included in the rotation, where it states in Mecklenburg County policy that each official meeting shall open with a prayer and that the prayer should be rotated among the commissioners. Now, she has stated, Ms. Coughlin has stated that she enjoyed listening to her colleagues pray, but she can't make up a prayer. She's saying that's not who she is. It's who she is, brother. She is a parishioner at St. Matthew's Catholic Church here in Charlotte. Again, she said she could say a rosary, but she don't think that'd be very well received. Now, County Attorney Marlon Bethune told Board Chair Trevor Fuller, who's a Democrat, as well as Ms. Uh, both the individuals here, and these ten commissioners are not required to give a full prayer. Now, Ms. Leach, who, of course, is a member of Little Rock Amy Zion Church, said she understands there's no requirement. Still, she said it was understood that that's what they do. We all share the responsibility of leading in prayer. Now, during the commission, two public meetings in April, when it was Ms. Leach's turn to give an invocation, she went public with the view that a fellow commissioner she never mentioned by name was shrieking that duty when it came to prayer. So, of course, that led, um, it, she said, each commissioner has responsibility to present the invocation to this body. She said, eight of us do this. There are those who decide not to, there's one who decides not to do this. But it speaks differences to all of us who are not sharing their beliefs. Of course, Ms. Cotton took that to be a personal uh, attack because she knows she is the one who chose not to do it. Um, Bill James, who's the senior leader, simply because he's been there the longest, of the commission, said that while he favors board members praying as they wish to, he found Ms. Leach's use of Ms. Cotton's faith as a weapon to publicly embarrass her, and he said it's beyond inappropriate. Ms. Cotton sought out Mr. James' advice. Um, I was exactly he, she should respond to Ms. Leach. And he told her in an email that was sent that he had been prepared the night before to intercede if Ms. Leach had tried to force Ms. Cotton to pray. So it's just a back-and-forth situation that you have with them where, again, you have individuals that has been stated that that's kind of what they do. They do rotate the prayers. And Ms. Gotham is saying, which seems to be a reasonable uh, request, that, in fact, she does not want to lead in a uh, open convocation. Now, the interesting part of that is that the, um, I guess the squabble, as we want to call it, between the Mecklenburg County Commissions kind of comes during the controversy over public prayers, as we talked about on last week down in Lincoln County. And, of course, we discussed before in Rowan County. A federal judge ruled this month that Rowan commissioners practice of opening public meetings with their own Christian prayer violated the U.S. Constitution. U.S. Teacher Judge James Beattie of the Middle District of North Carolina sold his decision that prayers advanced the commissioners' Christian faith and excluded the other religions and effectively coerced participation by members of the public attending the meetings. Then, of course, last week, the chairman of the Lincoln County Board said in interviews uh, publicly in print and on, uh, on TV that only Christian prayers will be said at the meeting. He added that Muslim prayers particularly were unwelcome. 
that on Monday the commissioner passed a policy allowing any religious leader in the county to sign up to deliver the invocation before his meetings. So you have a tremendous situation with several counties, but even Mecklenburg County is going on a different level because, again, you seem to have had one individual saying that everyone's willing to pray, everyone's willing to open up prayer, except one other uh, member of the county commission. So it's a very interesting thing, but that just gives you an idea of some of the uh, kind of infrastructure, some of the things that take place uh, on the commission meeting. Again, these are the individuals that you and I happily with a smile go and vote in. Uh, we'll be going to vote in primaries as well as in the general election. One other thing I do want to get on, maybe two more, is, of course, uh, something with President Obama. Uh, what I would call a triumph, certainly success, for the president was sweeping legislation to strengthen the administration's hand and global trade talks to advance towards the Senate passage on last Thursday after they kind of had a showdown vote that reminded them who exactly, I won't say who was in charge, but exactly how it was going to take place. You had a group that was strongly behind President Obama, a group that was against it. You ended up getting a 62 to 38 vote, two more than the 60 needed, so it was extremely close, but you got two extra votes. Uh, that came from actually two Republicans and more than a dozen Democrats. But uh, you did get the bill passed. The Senate action to move towards the final vote was a tremendous step forward. Now, you're looking now at a trade deal that would open up access to markets that have been often closed. The president was up late making phone calls to lawmakers throughout the night trying again to get certain individuals swayed his way. The final Senate passage was clearing the way for a fair struggle in the House. Now, this legislation would allow President Obama to make trade deals that Congress would either support or reject, but they could not change them. Previous presidents have had similar authority, and administration officials urged that uh, Japan and other Pacific region countries in the current round of 12 nation trade talks will be unwilling to present bottom-line offers if they know lawmakers can just simply seek more concessions. So now when they make an offer, they know that President Obama uh, agrees to it, that they have much more of a leg to stand on than they've had before. But the real political divide is over the value of international trade agreements themselves. Now the result of being blurred of traditional police practices. Of, now you're going to have legislation that's going to renew the Patriot Act on the calendar, and that's simply a bill to a new authority for the government to commit federal funds for highway bridges and constructions on the face of June 1st deadline. So that's something else that's essential to the success of um, President Obama, what we've seen and what we've heard. Um, I do want to get in as we kind of do our weekly update now on what's happening and who's actually running for president. There's been many Democrats that hope, and they, we keep hearing this name, and you still may hear it again, but they want to lure uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren out of Massachusetts into a presidential campaign. But that's been unsuccessful so far. However, Senator Bernie Sanders seems to be the closest thing in beliefs and ideas and ideology to what Ms. Warren is. Now, Sanders opened his official presidential bill yesterday in Burlington, Vermont. So he said he aims to ignite a grassroots fire among left-leaning Democrats who have been very weary of Ms. Hillary Clinton. He's laying out an agenda and the steps of party's progressive wing and the compatible kind of left wings to, again, oppose many of the things that Ms. Clinton has done. Now, Sanders has worked with Democrats in Washington and is running as a Democratic candidate. He, along with former Maryland Governor Martin O'Malley, right now vying to become the primary alternative to Ms. Clinton. Much of the energy behind a Clinton alternative has been directed to drafting Warren. But again, she repeatedly said that she will not run. I guess some of that is to give you another opportunity if you're looking for a female that it would appear that Ms. Warren wouldn't be one of the top candidates there. Now for Mr. Sanders, a key question has kind of been his electability. 
Miss um, Clinton has uh, kind of been a commanding position, and many of the people are very familiar with her name and with her brand, I should like to say. So we'll see exactly how that works out. But our official update for this week is that we do have another Democratic candidate, and that is Senator Bernie Sanders. And, again, keep the name Miss Elizabeth Warren fresh on your mind because I may very well come back next week that she's changed her mind and that she has decided to run for president. So I know that's a lot. And, again, we can just go with so many different things that are happening politically, but those are some of the key things that have taken place this week, kind of our extended week here in politics. As we conclude each and every week, the easiest way to contact me is going on to Facebook. Once you log on to Facebook, you go to Valerie Sun, V-A-L-E-R-I-E, Valerie Sun. When you go to Valerie Sun, you're going to see a link for Talking Politics. On that link, you're going to see things that are taking place politically. You're going to see comments. You're going to see maybe articles and different things that are posted politically that we've gotten from listeners, callers, readers that have made comments. So that's one of the easiest ways to contact me directly or simply to make me aware of something that may be happening politically that you're aware of. Also, you can go on your phone to the, uh, my favorite app, that I go to the most almost daily. Uh, you go to This Needs to Be Said. If you have, down, if you have not downloaded that, then shame on you. Because that's an app that uh, almost everyone that I come in contact to has included on their phone. And by doing so, you're able to hear so many things that take place over these airways. Not just an opportunity that we hear in this show, but you get to hear so many other people that, again, come on and talk about so many different topics throughout the week. So it's a great way to, as you're doing whatever you do around the house, or certainly as you're doing whatever it is in your leisure time, to listen to so many different things that take place, again, over the great airways of this need to be said. And as we encourage each and every week to watch the news, uh, 5 o'clock, 5, 36, 6, 30, 11 o'clock, whatever news you watch, within the first five minutes, I will almost assure you, you're going to see something politically taking place. And again, all of these decisions, as well as these decision makers, uh, affect you directly because they're going to affect things that happen in your neighborhood, things that happen in your state, and, of course, things that happen worldwide. And these are the people that you elect and that you choose in many cases. So it's always uh, good to know what they're doing and stay abreast of some of the decisions that they're making. And the easy way to do that is to be aware of it and see it on the news, read it in the paper, and just keep yourself aware of things that are happening uh, politically in your area. All right. Now, I just want you to know, and I'm glad you brought up about the, the toll booth because my mom called me and she was outraged, like, I could do something about it at that very moment. I said, Mom. <laughs> I'm sure we're going to talk about it on this show. Well, if you don't talk about it on this show, and I was like, well, Mom, we have to research it. But what I'm wondering, I, I think I heard you say that it was going to be a while before they actually build the toll booth, but it was approved now? Right. What happened is that, well, it's been approved, but the issue is it's not what everyone wanted. Many of the people that live on that side of town, again, don't mm-hmm. have all the information as well as um, Commissioner Puckett, who actually represents that area, is that they don't have all the information and everything that they were told is not completely as it is. And the issue at hand now is that the money is available and the builders are ready to go right now. So now the proposal is to do a 90-day delay. And over these 90 days, they're going to get further research and come back with a proposal that hopefully makes everyone happy. But the money is there. So if nothing is done, the money is going to go to something else. And therein lies the problem. And you'll have the same situation you have now if they don't instill the tolls. Because the tolls, of course, are just a way to pay for this. It's just a way to get back some of the money they're paying to get all this done. Mm. So we're not sure exactly when it will be completed, but we do know for 90 days nothing's going to happen. And they're hoping that the governor gets back on their side, but we'll see how that goes. So that's going to be something that Mr. Puckett and his committee are looking at and looking further into exactly how it's going to work out to kind of make everybody happy. Okay, so... 
so what I'm understanding, I don't care what happens, the toll booth will that's going to happen. Is there any way to stop it? Is what I was wondering. There's not really a way to stop it now. Now it can be, but it's been approved. The issue with stopping it is kind of going back into what happened. The only reason we have an issue at all is because everyone's not aware of everything, all the logistics of it. But it's because they were, and now they're seeing that that's not exactly the case. So what mm-hmm. they're doing again is they're going to have a 90-day delay. There's commission that's voted for a delay, and the delay is simply asking for all the information, and then they're going to present all the information, and then see if in fact that many people are against it. Then it's I'm not saying it's possible to reverse it, but then the legislation will be bought and kind of go through another little song and dance if they don't want it. So Taylor is not a it's not a go yet, but it's pretty close to being a go. We're just going to see for 90 days what's going to take place and what information they can gather. Because, again, you're talking about $100 million. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. It's going to go somewhere. It just may not go to that. But it's going to be used for something. All right. Well, thank you, Valerie Sun, for coming and bringing us the politics as you do each and every week. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Until next week. There will never be a point in your time in your life where it's the right time to do a great thing. If you're waiting for that perfect, perfect moment, that perfect timing, it's not going to happen. You know what you have to do? You have to create the perfect time and the perfect opportunity and the perfect situation. That a lot of people become comfortable. They stop growing. They stop wanting anything. They they become satisfied. People getting ready to go to jobs that they don't like. Jobs that are making them sick. You see, when you're not pursuing your goal, you are literally committing spiritual suicide. When you have some goal out here that you're stretching for and reaching for, that takes you out of your comfort zone, you'll find out some talents and abilities you have that you didn't know you have. When the messenger of misery visits you, what are you going to do? What will keep you in the game? There are things that you think you'll never need to know that you may only need to know one time in your life, but that could save your life because you had that knowledge. Unless you attempt to do something beyond that which you've already mastered, you will never grow. What is it that you looked at at some point in time and you decided that you couldn't do it, that you talked yourself out of it? You're waiting on your next door neighbor to make it happen for you. It may not happen. If you're waiting on your mother or your father, they may be so ancient in their thinking that they don't understand this opportunity that you have. And if you're waiting on them, it may never get done. You don't beg average people to be phenomenal. You don't beg good people to be phenomenal. You just are phenomenal and you will attract phenomenal. What reason can you remember that you can call on, that you can reach on, that can make you get back up? Find that reason. If you're not where you are, if you're not where you want to be, if you don't have what you want want to have, if you're not where you think you should be at this particular place, it has nothing to do with the system, but it has everything to do with the fact that you're not making the sacrifice. I want you to make that dream become a reality because if you don't, you will be working for somebody else to make their dreams become a reality. Everybody is against you or don't believe in you no more. And let me tell you something, that's a lonely feeling. It's a lonely feeling, particularly people that you're doing it for. Most people take their greatness, take their ideas to the graveyard with them.
listen to me, if it was easy, everybody would do it. There are people right now who are working who don't want to work. There are people who hate their jobs, but they keep getting up to do it. The wealthiest place on the planet is the graveyard. Because in the graveyard, we will find inventions that we never, ever were exposed to. Ideas, dreams that never became reality. Hopes and aspirations that were never acted upon. The question is, what are you going to do with your time? What drives you? Greatness is a lot of small things done well. Day after day, workout after workout, obedience after obedience. Day after day. When things don't work out for you, when things happen that you could not anticipate, what are the reasons that you can think of that can keep you strong? You will never ever be successful until you turn your pain into greatness, until you allow your pain to push you from where you are to push you to where you need to be. Stop running from your pain and embrace your pain. Your pain is going to be a part of your pride, a part of your product. I, I challenge you to push yourself. See, it's easy to be on the bottom. It doesn't take any effort to be a loser. It doesn't take any motivation, any drive in order to stay down there on a low level. But it calls on everything in you. You have to harness your will to say, I'm going to challenge myself. I mean that what you did last week don't count. Today, today is the only important day. There are 86,400 seconds in a day, and how you use those are critical. You got 86,400 today, and what you do today is going to see me who you are. Nobody's going to talk about what you did last week. that the biggest enemy you have to deal with is yourself. There's an old African proverb that says, if there's no enemy within, the enemy outside can do us no harm. You have this opportunity of a lifetime. It means absolutely nothing if you don't take advantage of it in the lifetime of this opportunity. I got a thing that when life knocks you down, try and land on your back because if you can look up, you can get up. If you want a thing bad enough to go out and fight for it, to work day and night for, to give up your time, your peace, and your sleep for. If all that you dream and scheme is about it, and life seems useless and worthless without it. See, it's time now. If you want to make this your decade, you've got to start saying yes to your life. You've got to start saying yes to your dreams. Yes to your unfolding future. Yes to your potential. As opposed to saying no. When you die, die on each. Leave no dream left behind, God. Leave no opportunity left behind. When you leave this earth, accomplish every single thing you can accomplish. Listen to me. You're going to be here one day, but you'll never get here if you give up, if you give in, if you quit. And finally, guys, you got to want to succeed as bad as you want to breathe. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you've gained something from what has been shared. Special thanks to the creators of the TNTBS jingle. It was written by Lamont Champ Josie and composed by Robert Jenkins. Thank you to everyone who supports us by downloading the phone app at thisneedstobesaid.com, by commenting on the TNTBS talk show fan page on Facebook, by retweeting us on Twitter at TNTBS, by also sharing this show with your friends. Thank you for logging in through your computer as well as calling in to listen on the phone lines. Now go out and tell more people about this great show. If you thought the show sucked, tell them anyway. 
Bad news travels fast is what I'm told. Either way, tell them to tune in each weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're always looking for new guest commentators, awesome topics, and most of all, we want your opinion. Visit us at www.thisneedstobesaid.com. We'd love to hear from you. There's an elephant in the room. You were thinking it, so we're going to talk about it. Until we meet again in the same place at the same time, have a super day.